This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking to Balan Ayar. Balan is currently the CEO of Percipient AI. Prior to his role as CEO, Balan spent 27 years in the U.S. Air Force, retiring as a Brigadier General, serving in areas of nuclear weapons, intelligence, national security, and supply chain management. He served as a White House Fellow and was on the Council of Foreign Relations. He has multiple master's degrees and is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy. Alon, first off, let me say it's a pleasure having you on the show today. As we're practicing social distancing, we're recording remotely from uh, each of our individual offices. I mean, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I, I think it's wonderful that you're talking about leadership. It's a particularly important topic in these times. So thank you so much for having me. So, Belan, let's talk about the elephant in the room. What a challenging time it has been for all of us with the current threat of COVID-19. And let's face it, it's impacting everyone across the world. People are looking for clarity, for communication, and to find courage from leadership to know that things will be okay. What leadership principles from your perspective that really is required in a crisis? Aileen, I appreciate that. I have been a bit of a student of leadership in this regard for most of my professional life. Let me say, though, as in the preface to your question, that I do think there's some wonderful elements of the story that's unfolding before us that it's worth reinforcing. First, this notion that, you know, as a nation, we have a sense of shared sacrifice and purpose to protect those that are most vulnerable from the virus. This is really a wonderful reflection of our values. I know there's a lot of challenges associated with the economic shutdown, much of which we'll, we'll be facing together as we rebuild the economy now that we know that we can protect the people that are most vulnerable. But just this notion that as a reminder, you know, we're really one race, right? The, the human race. And these kinds of challenges remind us that values are what drive us. And that really the way that we've approached this problem of protecting the people that are most vulnerable is really something to, to, to cherish, right? And who wouldn't want to act to protect their family or protect their loved ones or protect their community if they could by taking actions, even if that means some shared sacrifice. So I'm bullish on this. I think this is a wonderful testament to who we are and what we believe that we've taken the actions we have. And are there challenges? Absolutely. And as you kind of alluded to, and I think you're a student of and have shared previously, in these kinds of conditions where there's uncertainty and potentially fear, leadership really plays a central role in the confidence that the nation has, confidence that your company has about its ability to weather that set of conditions and come out of the other side stronger. I think jokingly, I like to tell people a lot of focus on China, but just as an example, I think it was President Kennedy that shared that, you know, China has a single character for crisis. But interestingly, it represents a combination of the characters they use to represent risk and the character they they use to represent opportunity. And those two together really are what crises uh, are, both risk and opportunity. I think great leaders are the ones that sense that risk, manage it, help people see through it. At the same time, they look for opportunities to bring the nation together in this case, or your company or, the, or your community together around things that are really opportunities that the crisis may present, that under no other conditions would you have the opportunity to challenge or make better. And there are lots of examples of that happening out of COVID-19, uh, not the least of which is education. I have a couple of 
of my children home from college, uh, taking classes from college. And the discussion around the dinner table each night is about what the value of the traditional education is that they're receiving when they're at these schools, their independence, their sense of decision-making, uh, the engagement uh, in the educational environment. And just as one example, I think higher education is gonna be changing to be more reflective of the need for these students to learn in, in various environments. And so I think there'll be lots of opportunities coming out of this. Your actual question was about leadership. My feeling is that it's exactly in these environments. You know, most people, when things are going great, don't often remember who their leaders are. But when things aren't going as expected, that's when you have a chance as a leader to kind of really demonstrate your character and uh, the sense of purpose and resolve and confidence that you can bring to a team that you're on to help them see through it and perform better as teammates in whatever it is that you have to achieve. So I really do feel like it's an excellent opportunity to refine uh, and demonstrate great leadership in moments like these. And I, by the way, I, I'm optimistic. I think we're seeing that at every level in communities where we're helping protect people who are elderly, and also at the state and, and federal level where we're working together to make sure that we have all the resources we need to take care of people who may be infected and all of the wonderful work the private sector is doing to provide us options, treatment and potentially vaccines. This is just gonna be an amazing story. When we're through it successfully and the economy has returned to its robustness, I think it'll be a great period for the next generation to reflect on about how you should behave when these kinds of threats emerge. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Balan IR, CEO, Percipient AI. You are clearly an amazing leader that has a lasting impact. And Balan, was there an event or a person that inspired you to have, uh, you know, that had a tremendous impact on you as a leader that you are today? Oh, thank you for that, Aileen. That's something that I love thinking about. I'm a student of this. I've read about it since I was a young boy. Actually, my answer might surprise you. The leader that I think was most inspiring to me uh, isn't a military leader. It's actually my mom. I felt like she had the kind of moral courage when I was growing up and conviction and compassion and empathy and authenticity that I think really framed my understanding of leadership. I didn't know till later on, nobody wants to say their mom was their inspiration in leadership, right? It's you know, some general or some president or some great CEO. But for me, at a very personal level, it was my mom. And that extended into the stories when I was growing up of her family. And I think you know, as I look at people who are most influential in my life, if I equate leadership to character, which I think the kind of core of leadership and your reputation as a leader comes from, I think the person who most dramatically shaped my character was my mom. And I would say subsequent to my mom, my wife, but my, my mom certainly as a young man and a young boy was demonstrating the kind of compassion and empathy and caring for others that I think is so essential in real leadership. This is a really stressful time. Um, how, do you, uh, how do you blow off steam? How do you keep your balance uh, during these very stressful times? Well, I appreciate that. Well, first I would say that you know, stress is something that can be self-induced. I do think the world is changing around us and you have to recognize there's a degree of uncertainty. But for most leaders, what that means is how do I channel the concern I have about uncertainty into really positive energy, enthusiasm, and focus? So there's a few things I think about as a leader. One is, am I assessing the environment for, for the environment as it is or am I imagining it as I would like it to be? And is my company on the right path to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that may be unfolding in this new uncertain environment. 
And how do I manage the risk around the uncertainty while making sure that my firm is doing everything possible? The first thing I think is important to think about is it's oftentimes the people that can focus uh, the best on what they're great at and persevere that are the ones that are most successful coming out of a crisis. It's very easy to be distracted with, uh, with all of the change. What I would try and look for is, is there a level of constancy, in, in my case, the product and market that we're developing for? Uh, are the needs that we're addressing still relevant in the new market that's unfolding because of the changes or crisis that are, that are happening? For Balin, I try and keep a sense of balance in my life. I try and exercise. Obviously, I think you know, spiritual development is very important. I have a wonderful family. So the combination of kind of work-life balance. I'm obviously you know, driven to, to try and be the best CEO that I can for our company. And that's kind of an all-encompassing responsibility. So I feel very deeply about how my employees are dealing with the COVID-19 crisis, not just the transition to working from home, but also their feeling of confidence that what we're doing is important and ennobling and that what we're doing is resilient to the crisis that we're in. I don't want them to have any more uncertainty in their life than they already have. And I, uh, I try and project a level of confidence and optimism and a sense of equanimity also. And that comes from, as I mentioned earlier, you know, your character and your, and your, your ability as a leader to really um, understand the environment you're operating in and then translate what you see out there that you're observing into kind of, you know, with a disciplined fashion into kind of tenets uh, that you can act on in your firm and, and really keep a sense of unity of effort and purpose in your work through the crisis. But no, I'm totally blessed. I've got a wonderful family, a wife of 30 years and three beautiful children and lots of volunteer activities and exercise. And all of that keeps me fairly happy and balanced. You were in the military for many years and uh, I've read uh, about mission command and how mission command is a principle, a military principle that's used during the crisis. Um, can you talk about that? Well, I'll say this, the profession of arms, there are some sacred responsibilities. One of them, uh, of, of course, is command of our forces in combat, which I was so privileged to have in my last position uh, in the military. And there is some parallel to what we're seeing now in COVID-19. And I think it's really remarkable the way that you see so many leaders at every level of government. By the way, it's a great reminder how important government leadership is and public service is, and how important it is to the success of our nation. I think in sometimes in certain conditions of great success, uh, we often forget about how important public service is, but it's clearly on display now how critical it is to have a wonderful functioning, vibrant republic and democracy when you have these kinds of threats and challenges. And so. I, you know, just encourage our younger generations to think about in some way, shape, or form serving their country. It could be as a volunteer fireman, it could be as a substitute teacher, it could be as a mentor or a big brother, but giving back to your community and society is what really strengthens the fabric that we count on when these crises unfold. And so uh, never a better time to be serving the nation in some capacity than when a crisis is underway. But I think uh, military leadership does uh, a few things for you that's quite helpful if you decide that you want to serve the nation that way, even for a short time. First is that you know you're on a team that's involved in something bigger than your own personal self-aggrandizement. This notion that you're on a team where the stakes are high, the consequences are great, and that you have to help others on the team be successful, these are very powerful notions, and I think very valuable when, even in civilian and private sector environments, if you want to be a, an employee that's really successful over time, that has constant opportunity available to you, 
You want to be the kind of employee that helps others succeed on the team. <laughs> they will never want to, to be in business without you if you can master the impulse to not be self-aggrandizing and be concerned about your personal, personal gain. And that's something the military and, and command in the military really reinforces. You're there to serve others. And then the sense of personal and professional responsibility you have when you're in command in the profession of arms, it's really like a sacred trust of sorts. You want to feel worthy each day of the men and women that are under your responsibility, that you're making the best decisions possible for their welfare and for the potential for them to succeed in their mission, which is what they're all driven by. So if you take great care of your people, this mission that you're so focused on, it really is, it's magic. The team comes together, they have a sense of unity of purpose and unity of effort, and they feel the kind of mutual respect. By the way, everybody can experience this. If you played on a sports team when you were young, or if you're on a robotics team, you know what it is to play your role well. And that's what the military requires. It requires every young soldier, sailor, airman, and marine to play their role well. And when you have command of forces in combat, you have to be especially careful about playing your role well. And as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, uh, you know, a person's character is really revealed in those moments because in almost all cases, the decisions that come to commanders that are in combat, there are multiple values that are in tension around a purpose for which the government, the nation, and the president ultimately has put you in harm's way. And you have to be able to make decisions and take risks. And so this idea that you have this first and foremost in your heart, this kind of sacred trust with the men and women that you're serving with is such a powerful idea. I brought that idea into business, by the way. I think it's a powerful and wonderful idea that you care deeply about the success, professional and personal growth of your employees, and that you connect them to a larger purpose. In the, in the case of our firm, Precipient AI, we are focused on that security and intelligence missions, but also much more broadly, helping the world understand itself more precisely and decisively. We think with rising adversaries and in the environment we're in, being able to look a little deeper into history allows us to predict, prevent, potentially protect, and, you know, in understanding that environment helps us to make much better decisions when values are in tension. And that's what we're really interested in doing. And that's what I, when I was in Afghanistan, I felt uh, that kind of sacred responsibility for the men and women I was with and wanted the kinds of technologies and capabilities that I thought government should have. So our real purpose as a firm is aligned to what you're asking me about. That, that experience in the service is, is so instrumental to who I am and to how I approach challenges. And much of what you learn there, separate from the weapon systems and flying and all the other things that you can do that are really exciting, is how to think so that you can deal with uncertainty and bring a team together to accomplish a mission. So very relevant, a lot of beautiful values. People would be very surprised in the Army, in the Navy, in the Air Force, and the Marine Corps. You might be distracted by all the amazing things they do to help protect the nation, but ultimately they come down to people. And, it, and with people uh, in challenging environments, it's all about leadership. I'm speaking with Balan Iyer, CEO of Recipient AI. Coming up next, we'll talk about the most important types of decisions you can make when you're leading an organization. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Balan Iyer, CEO of Recipient AI. So, Balan, we we're just talking about the importance, the sacred part of leadership of making important decisions that will affect the people who are in your command or, or you lead uh, in the corporate world. What are the most important types of decisions you can make as a leader of your organization? 
Well, thank you, Eileen. You know, a lot depends on the size of your organization, what it is you're trying to achieve. And, and obviously, leaders understand that as the company grows, your relationship to your people and relationship to your customers and your responsibilities, potentially even to your investors and shareholders, all of that change. And you have to continue to adapt and grow to create room for leaders that are in the firm that are rising in their responsibilities and want a chance to grow professionally, but also because the very nature of business changes and what you did that made you great as a 50 person organization may be exactly the thing that makes you non-competitive as a thousand person organization. And so this kind of a, uh, this delicate balance of situational leadership is, and the ability to continue to grow and learn as a leader is really important. For me, the most important things now for where we are as a firm is first and foremost, getting the values of the organization right. You know, the culture of your organization really emanates from how you lead and the things that you will award, reward, the norms, the values, the expectations, how people feel respected. If you want to have a powerful, high-performing company or team, you've got to set and put in motion the right values, the right culture, the right performance orientation to the way you value people. And if you can do that as a leader initially, you'd be surprised at how in that framework, the people that you bring on to help you accomplish your goals can, can make those goals happen. Um, so I spend time on making sure the values are right, ensuring the culture deals with conflict and challenge and adaptation and uh, orientation exactly right. So we, we look at the product and the market that we're developing, how are we presenting our capabilities? How do we present those capabilities to the market? I think a leader's responsibility is to make sure the vision is right for the firm and to have the kind of resolute will. Those are two characteristics I find very compelling in leaders of entrepreneurial kinds of product startups. If you have a sense of a resolute will about your drive to get something accomplished, the rest of the team senses that. They know that you're serious. They know that the persistence that's required for us to do anything great they can see it in your character. They can feel it when they talk to you. They, they know by the way that you're looking at things, that you're looking over the horizon, not just at the next item that needs to be accomplished in terms of the technical development or in terms of the marketing or in terms of the customer engagement, but that you're thinking over the horizon and shaping the strategy to accomplish something great. So I think from my perspective, there are a lot of leaders that can get the kind of mundane, mundane details of management of resources and, and people if it were that easy, everybody would be Apple. I think there's a degree of inspiration that leaders have to have. No conditions are perfect for any company. And in those moments, leaders uh, that have a sense of authenticity and vision and purpose, they can really rally uh, employees and rally investors and rally you know, kind of the, the team to be able to accomplish something great that otherwise it would be very difficult to accomplish. Just remember this, I mean, I think all of us have experiences in our personal life you can just imagine if something's going wrong and you, and you look to your leader and, and they look like they're confused or have a lack of confidence or haven't really understood what all the implications are, you're not looking to follow them into the breach, right? You're thinking to yourself, uh, this ship is going down if that is our leader. And so if you can kind of imagine that you need to be the kind of leader you would like to have, this is something that can help guide you as a young executive. You know, you have to convey the level of, a level of confidence and competence and competence is equally important to confidence uh, that your employees and investors and shareholders would like to see. You know, it's exciting, but I do think that values and vision are pretty important. There's a lot of things that you can do to be more efficient, but you have to be willing to do what's right. How, how to do things right, you can study as a team. But when they look to a leader and values or intention, 
that's when your character shows and you've got to know what's right. And so I'd spend time on the, the highest level of things that only a leader can bring to their organization. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today we're talking with Balan IR, CEO, Percipient AI. So I, I'd like to go back to what you were just talking about, about making sure that your team, as it grows, your boots on the ground, you might want to say, really understand the core mission so that they can have the agility to act. Uh, do you find that that was easier in uh, the command structure in the military, or do you find that uh, equally as challenging or easier in private sector? Well, in the private sector, you have to do more to earn the trust of the people that you're working with than you do in the profession of arms. You know, when you have an assignment as a general officer or a senior leader in the profession of arms, no matter what unit you go to, there's almost an instant recognition of your competence by your record. And so there's this implicit trust that exists in those organizations because they're, they're formed around a common purpose. And so everybody understands what it is they have to achieve when they're in those missions, in those units. And so you have this natural unity of effort. I can just share with you some of the things that I spend time on in the private sector are the things I took for granted in the profession of arms. And on the other side of that, some of the things that were most difficult in the profession of arms, like encouraging ingenuity and thinking out of the box. In organizations that are highly doctrinal, it's very difficult to get this kind of consistent innovation and culture of innovation established so that people feel comfortable challenging authority and challenging the way that we're accomplishing a particular mission. And in the private sector, those are spectacular qualities that the American economic system has really valued. And so it's just wonderful. On the other side, you have to work very hard to build unity of effort, unity of purpose, and trust between your high-performing uh, employees and partners so that you have this ability to work together. And uh, so you, you end up working on different elements, but in the deep water, success in any of these organizations, much of the things that make you successful in the military are also things that would make you a great partner, employee, and CEO in the private sector, right? Caring about others, uh, acting with a sense of integrity and character, helping others succeed, being on high-performing teams, this idea that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. This happens in all great companies, just as you, met, you might imagine it happens in the U.S. Marine Corps and the United States Army. And so I think there are a lot of similarities and a lot of reasons for you to want to have an experience serving your country, among other uh, really wonderful elements of that are this notion that you get when you serve others. You know, my, my wife's grandfather came to this country just as World War II was unfolding from Italy. And he was, uh, his family were shoemakers in Italy. And he was a cobbler on board ship for two years in the Pacific and had such wonderful stories from that period. 50 years of service at General Motors following World War II retiring as one of the senior most people in, in security at General Motors. And you would have thought after he retired from General Motors that he had spent 52 years in the United States Navy. He so loved that period in his life of being part of something bigger than himself as a sailor on board ship. That was the kind of the, if I, the sum and substance of the stories that he would tell where you could just see the, the gleam in his eye we're all about the times and he was part of something bigger than themselves. And so I, I, you know, I'd encourage everybody to look for that in their life. You can do it in volunteer service. You can certainly do it 
in a company that you think is doing ennobling work. We feel our, our firm, Persica and I, is one of those firms. But there's some richness to your life that comes from being part of something bigger than yourself. As many people who are in government now responding to the COVID-19 crisis appreciate, they are, they're all really well-loved. I'm speaking with Balan Iyer, CEO of Percipient AI. Coming up next, we'll talk about leading uh, organizations to adopt change. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Balan Iyer, CEO of Percipient AI. And in the last segment, we talked about decisions in crisis, but there's never a bigger challenge than trying to get an organization to adopt change. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, especially when some of the work that you did in Afghanistan, you worked with the local Afghanistan government to trust and to start to adopt some changes. How did you lead through that? What did your your philosophy? It is true that among the biggest challenges leaders have is in helping their organizations change. And there's a number of reasons for that, all of which are well studied and documented. But for the most part, I think in the areas that are, are most commonly challenging for leaders in this regard, first is understanding the reason for the change and why you almost have to have the ability to communicate an existential uh, threat uh, or an existential reason for your firm to really be uh, serious about the things that have to change and why they have to change. And so I always tell people, you know, the most successful change that takes place in organizations is when you have the kind of buy-in from your employees and from your peers and colleagues about the purpose for the change. You know, the ones that really actually transform an organization are when the change is really adopted. The reason, the desire, the need is understood by your colleagues, employees, and leaders. And if you can do a good job as a leader, communicating the reason for and why it is you believe the change is so necessary, you'll be totally surprised with the level of ingenuity coming from your own team about why that change has to take place. Certainly right now, especially with everybody having to work um, remotely, the digital transformation is gonna come faster and harder. Uh, do you see that as being an opportunity to really leverage some new technologies like AI to make organizations more productive? I do think artificial intelligence, AI, has uh, a number of wonderful roles it will play in the coming dozen years or so. Whereas, you know, our firm believes in human and machine teaming. We think that while it's very nascent, machine learning and even the advent of deep nets, which we, our technology uses, the machine intelligence's ability to help elevate and accelerate human understanding is where we think there's great promise. So you might imagine that in some ways around health with what we're understanding about COVID-19. You might also think in the national security intelligence space, it's awfully helpful to have the machine intelligence once we have patterns that we understand. Machines watching for those patterns, whether that's in structured data or unstructured data in the area that we work in. And to be able to kind of recognize those patterns that human professionals have helped the machine recognize and then for those, those patterns to be able to be alerted to so that humans can understand what may be unfolding and, and really contextualize, characterize and contextualize what's happening so we can make better. We can understand the world more precisely and make better decisions where, where limited resources are or where there may be potential threat or harm and we have to be decisive. Understanding the world more precisely is quite valuable. AI is going to help us in almost every frontier. There are things now that we have both the compute power and the algorithms to help us kind of correlate the data from, to be able to derive insights. By the way, 
it sounds a little bit scary, artificial intelligence. You read about people who think general AI is a real concern and others who think that maybe kind of long-term deficits created by machine intelligence. My personal feeling is that what we're trying to do is elevate the human conscience and consciousness so that that's not muddling through all of the information that can be known, but the extent that we can know information from what history is willing to share, we should know that information so that we can make better decisions about what it is we're trying to achieve and the tools we're using to achieve it. So I absolutely believe, not just because of COVID-19, even prior to COVID-19, we are on the cusp of being able to bring the compute power to the edge so that our operators who have enormous amounts of data, very limited time to make decisions, and very consequential decisions can understand a little bit more about their environment before they have to make those decisions. And in some cases, that can be the difference between life and death. In other cases, it can be a better decision on, on how to invest. But artificial intelligence, the machine's ability to augment, uh, to help accelerate or elevate humans. Listen, this is something we ought to be embracing, working very hard to put into place kind of the ethical framework so that we know that when we're working with human and machine teams, that we can challenge, uh, not reinforce the kinds of biases that we may be concerned about from certain pools of data or types of data that may have their inherent biases. And we believe you can design software uh, that can help humans in a way that really strengthens the natural human tendency toward fairness and just action. So uh, we think that's the path that we're on as a nation. Certainly, all kinds of innovation happening in different sectors. We'd like to bring some of that innovation into the national security and intelligence sector. But I agree with you 100%, Aileen. I think that AI and other technologies like blockchain will help us protect against the way some of our rising adversaries and some of these kind of criminal gangs, certainly in the cyber environment, are taking advantage of attack surfaces and vulnerabilities that we all create by our desire for convenience. So I think these technologies are going to really help us live safer, more fulfilling lives. I think there's a side of it that we're going to have to really bring the light to about the level of privacy we all enjoy, about uh, knowing what we're sharing, and the purpose of the data that we're giving our partners access to. I think that's coming into light now, and it'll be a great discussion, and I think wonderful involvement toward what the Europeans are doing, and maybe California and other leading states are doing, uh, with regards to protecting individual data that people can use to predict behavior through, so that people have a choice, and they know what it is that uh, they're giving away when they use an application, for example. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today we're talking with Balan Ayar, CEO of Percipient AI. So let me ask you a step further on that question. You're the CEO of a company that is leveraging AI and providing a solution that helps address some of the serious national security challenges. So can you flesh that out a little bit more? You know, you have one side of the equation that talks about the scary thing that people are thinking about, like the movie's Terminator or take that information into the wrong direction. But there's a lot of really good things that AI can be applied to solve some of these really hairy problems that can save lives. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, absolutely. And I, I do want people to be optimistic. We have really brilliant people in the DOD and in the intelligence environments uh, looking carefully at these technologies to make sure that we are learning what can be learned in the right way. Uh, from the advent of these technologies. So I'm absolutely confident. I mean, you can imagine the work that we're doing. For example, one of our modules in Percipient AI's Mirage platform allows one of our leading three-letter agencies to look at the world from space where many of their sensors are and try and understand 
uh, what's happening in different nations that we don't have semi-permissive or permissive environments in. And so they may be looking down from space to try and determine whether there is a missile launch coming from a certain nation. And they know because of their tradecraft, the kinds of objects they should be looking for that may be a prelude to a potential launch that could destabilize or threaten a, a treaty partner or potentially put at risk valuable either U.S. national security interests or our partners' national security interests. And so the early recognition of that allows our nation to have freedom of action, to influence the environment in a way that keeps the peace, that allows us to de-risk or de-escalate. And the earlier we can detect these kinds of behaviors, these anomalies from patterns, the more likely we are to prevent unnecessary or in some cases even unintentional conflict. And in, on another level, you might say that these kinds of technologies allow us to really confirm what it is that's actually happening. You can imagine the big discussion around what's real and how politically influenced uh, disinformation and other things can, from other nations especially, can influence uh, you know, free and open nations. And the ability to kind of differentiate between what we know to be true and what we know to be intentional disinformation, with the amount of data that's flowing, you need machines processing, exploiting, uh, allowing to be analyzed data to be able to correlate. And once we can correlate, it's very easy to determine what's real and what's not real. And so, I mean, one example for Mirage on the full motion video and still image repository side is, it could be an accident that you're standing behind the Boston bombers in an ATM video, maybe it's taken place in Boston prior to the Boston bombing. But if you're also seeing when they're leaving the subway station three or four weeks prior, that potentially is a correlation that you can imagine the FBI or other appropriate intelligence agencies would want to make quickly so that they can understand if there is a network that's operating to affect these kinds of terrorist actions, that they're able to intercept them. And, and these intelligence agencies need to be able to look through, understand, and correlate data in order to prevent attacks. These are things that we all believe that they should be able to do is really critical. And we want to make sure that artificial intelligence, now that same kind of artificial intelligence that I was talking about, computer vision, could also be used to detect the first changes in the cell related to cancer and to be able to augment or help a radiologist at some level, human and machine teaming, be more confident about ultimately the human doctor making a great decision at the earliest possible time uh, to intervene in, in what may be a developing tumor or developing uh, malignancy. So this idea that machines can help humans in really precious missions is something that we ought to be very excited about. And I also think you'll see artificial intelligence helping us with data around everything from vaccines to the genetic code that we're all interested in the impact on uh, from these vaccines and from these potential diseases. And so I think there'll be lots of things that machine intelligence will be able to help really brilliant medical and scientific and national security professionals on that we would all be delighted by. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. Coming up next, I'll ask some additional questions about the application of AI to help solve some of these very critical problems today. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Balan Ayar, CEO of Recipient AI. Balan, in the earlier segment, we were talking about the application of AI to solve some of the world's toughest problems. 
does AI help speed the process of providing that information in a way that can be acted on in a timely manner to make a difference? You, you were talking a little bit about some of the healthcare application. I mean, finding out that a tumor is cancerous or not and being able to apply the proper medical procedure can save lives. Can you address that a little bit? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, of course, that's not the area our firm is in, but I'm using that as an example of the different applications where we're, in that case, you'd be supporting radiologists or other medical professionals. But the idea that we can obviously learn from the vast amounts of healthcare data, and in our case, as I mentioned, also in the national security intelligence space, a lot of the tools that we're developing can be used just as successfully for understanding climate change as they can for understanding the intent of a potential adversary and how elections in a neighboring country uh, may be causing them either tension, in other words, raising the level of readiness of their military, or other indications that are positive. And so this idea that we can preserve our freedom of action and recognize and interpret intent uh, as the world is unfolding in, in the very chaotic way that it is in the COVID-19 era, this is very valuable. And I think, I think everyone can appreciate the ability to understand the world a little bit more uh, deeply is going to give us advantages, competitive advantages, certainly in the national security intelligence space, but also in all of the other spaces that we think are critical for us to be able to create environments where people can really thrive, right? If we understand our resources, our supply chain, if we know where the risks are, if our machine learning can identify elements of the data that are outside the normal patterns, an anomaly might be the first indication of something that's going wrong. And the sooner that we can catch that anomaly, like in the case of COVID-19, the more likely we are to prevent something from becoming a pandemic. And so I absolutely believe it's a very exciting time in lots of ways. This space is very rich with opportunity and not to be afraid of. You know, we have to take into consideration these concerns, but these are all manageable concerns uh, when wonderful human professionals who are trained to be responsible for these missions are the ones that are bringing this technology on. So over the last decade, the technology landscape has drastically changed with the evolution of cloud computing. We talked a little bit about AI. What do you believe will be the biggest disruptor or accelerator for the technology sector going into the next decade that will really change our lives? Well, I think it may be a combination of these elements that you've mentioned. And I think in the actual environments that we're in, I think we're going to find that these technologies are going to allow us to have greater accessibility, greater mobility, greater potential to achieve our dreams. And that could be in construction, that could be in energy, that could be in the medical field. The ability to kind of harness the compute power in a way that really helps us understand what can be understood from all of the previous work before us and what the implications of risk are around the sector that we're working in. So I think we're gonna see breakthroughs in almost every area, including energy, which I think will be very exciting for us in terms of leveling the playing field. Remember, Aileen, if you look across the world, an unfortunate truth of innovation driven by capitalism is that it really tends to be for the top one or 2%. So the real excitement behind these technologies, Aileen, is that we're gonna be able to touch the other 95% of the world. We're gonna be able to raise the standard of living, the quality of care, we're going to be able to provide light and energy and clean water. We're going to be able to provide food. We're going to be able to distribute food. We're going to be able to see and control waste. All of that is now going to be possible because we're, we're going to be able to sense it and we're going to be able to react to it in a way that is really adaptive with these technologies. And so I'm actually very excited about the next generation's chance to solve some of the big challenges that humanity is facing for the, the world that is in that has not been connected to this amazing information economy yet. I think that's where we're going to see the biggest and most dramatic impacts, which should make us all feel wonderful. 
listen, does Bala need an iPhone 13 or 14? The answer is no. I'd be over the moon if we could make sure that everybody in emerging nations around the world has the ability to connect to WebMD or to some preventative care that can help raise their standard and their, their children get a chance to achieve their dreams. So I think that's a big excitement. Uh, the combination of these technologies is really going to democratize knowledge and allow innovation to kind of spread much more widely than it has been in our recent history, concentrated in, in many areas around the developed world. So I, I, that's, to me, that's the big excitement is that we get to see and connect to this amazing part of the globe that has not yet been able to raise themselves in so many important ways that we know are, are valuable in life. Your career and your success have really been truly inspirational. Any final pearls of wisdom you have for the next generation of leaders? Well, thank you for that, Eileen. That's very thoughtful of you. I feel like a life well lived is what you know the IRS have always been interested in, in living. For the next generation, which I'm so excited about, and I include in that my children and many of my young employees, I hope that they will realize earlier in their career rather than later that their character, who they're becoming, is as important as what they're achieving. And when they're motivated by the right values, anything is possible. You know, their success in life, and this has been true since the beginning of history, what people really remember, you know, a person's good name, their, their reputation, it's really based on their character. It's not on their material success. And kind of the add-on to that is that when you're working in a way that serves others, that there's a certain richness that you can't get any other way in your life. And so I love this idea of being rededicated to service in some capacity, public service, the service of others in some capacity in your life. You know, your work is your work. Who you're becoming, you have to take agency over. And for this next generation, I think COVID-19 is a great time to really reflect on how wonderful it is to be giving. You know, they say giving and forgiving is divine, getting and forgetting is human. And you want to be aiming for the divine part of that equation, right? Giving and forgiving, which means looking for opportunities to help others. You'll find, if I look back at my life, when I was more concerned about others, those were the moments of my greatest successes and of my personal and professional satisfaction. And unfortunately, the world turns that on its head and makes you think when you're young, it's all about you and defining yourself by your own personal success and your personal uh, accumulation of wealth or other kinds of things that are, well, they're all frankly rather transient and passing and of very little meaning. So I hope this next generation, because of COVID-19 and other experiences, will realize how connected we are to the world and how their service to others in that world is really what's going to define them as a person of influence uh, as they get older. Thanks for letting me share with you today, Aileen. It's been a real joy talking with you. I really think the things that you're talking about are important and relevant. And I, I really look forward to listening to your other speakers, and I welcome the opportunity to keep in touch. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Balan A.R., CEO, Percipient AI. Balan, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some very valuable uh, advice. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.